2 Corinthians chapter 10, 13 through 11, 15. If you'd open your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians. As we mentioned last week, the tone in this letter, which was very nurturing and loving, has turned. And this particular part of the letter addressed at the false apostles, the false teachers directly, becomes a bit more ironic in tone. He's actually defending, Paul is actually defending in his own ministry because he's been accused unjustly of so much. And to accuse the Apostle Paul is to accuse the church and the gospel and Christ himself. But Paul's very humble and he's uncomfortable, it seems, in this defense of his ministry. It seems like he starts and stops two or three times to to begin to defend himself before them and finally works himself up to it later in chapter 11. His whole point is to show the genuineness of his own ministry and the falsehood of the false teachers. It's not just in Corinth, and as we saw, it wasn't... uh, It wasn't just something that happened in the New Testament church then. It happens in every age. From Adam until the end of the world, the church will be filled with those who are trying to deceive. As we saw in the garden, the serpent deceiving Eve. So would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word? I'm actually going to read chapter 11, verses 1 through 15. This is God's inerrant and perfect inspired word. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit, from, from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced by the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. On verse 12. And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder... For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond 
to their deeds. Amen. Please be seated. May God add his blessing to the public reading of his word. Let us pray. Almighty God, we are your children, your sheep. You are our shepherd and our teacher. Your Holy Spirit lives in us. Will remind us of all the truth that you have spoken. And we pray now that this would happen. That you would open our eyes and soften our hearts to receive your word. That the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the church has been deceived. To be deceived is something that nobody likes. I remember when I was a young man in my, well, I was a late teenager, 18, 19 years old, there was a, a singing group that was popular. They were winning awards and doing all kinds of amazing things. I don't know, some of you youngsters may not remember, but the older generation might. Their name was Millie Vanilli. And this group, they were on fire. But then something happened. It came out that they were lip syncing everything. They didn't sing a word. They just pretended to sing. And all along, they were mouthing the words that some other singers were doing. And this went on for years. They were only exposed when during a concert... He pulled the mic away from his lips or dropped it, and the words kept coming out over the speakers. You can't do that. That's not real. We had been deceived. America had been deceived. And all of the rewards they gave back, they returned where they were from to Germany in disgrace and really never made an impact in pop culture again. Well, the church in Corinth had been deceived by imposters, disguised, looking like real Christians, looking like real pastors and shepherds. And yet these people had their own agenda. So we're going to talk about that as we go through the text. Paul has just said in chapter 10, remember in the letter there were no chapter or verse divisions. It was just one long letter. But in the last part of chapter 10, Paul shows his repugnance in boasting. He says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Why does he say that? Because the false teachers loved boasting. They loved standing up and saying, look at me. Look at me in my great oratory. Look at me in the wonderful way that I preach and convince. Look at me in all the the glory of my status as a pastor or an apostle, they called themselves, or a preacher. Paul hates all of that. He says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord alone. But then he's going to start defending himself. He's going to start contrasting the false teachers with himself. So in verse 1, he says, okay, bear with me in a little foolishness. I'm actually going to boast the way these men do. He says, please bear with me. You can sense that he's uncomfortable doing this and, and showing even the work of Christ and the effectiveness of his ministry through the work of Christ because he wants to point everything to Jesus. So to put any focus on himself is something that he is not doing very comfortably at all. And you'll see in later in this letter, he actually boasts in all of his weaknesses and all of his hardships more than anything else. But he calls it boasting. He calls this boasting foolishness nonetheless. But he's going to do it anyway. Why? In verse 2, he tells them why. Because I feel a divine 
jealousy for you. Now, something that is a vice in humans, like jealousy, can be a virtue in God, because God is not like us. So he's using a a human means of speech, a human word that shows us something about the nature of God's love. This isn't the angry, vengeful, vindictive human jealousy of, of Joseph's brothers who were jealous of Joseph because he had the coat, the coat of many colors. Uh, and seemed to be a favorite of his. It's not that kind of jealousy. It's more like the, the jealousy of, of a husband for a wife who's wandered off or is being unfaithful, and he's jealous. Jack Packer says, this divine jealousy is a zeal to protect a love relationship and to uh, pursue and avenge it when broken. And all through the Bible, God is referred to by the name Jealous in the giving of the Ten Commandments. He says, For I, the Lord God, your God, am a jealous God. Not meaning anything bad, of course, meaning that he so loves his covenant that he's made with man that he will jealously pursue his rebellious people. In Exodus 34, he's even more explicit. He says, You shall worship no other God, for the Lord Yahweh whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. So praise God that we serve a God who pursues us even when we're rebellious. He pursues us as a husband pursues a rebellious or unfaithful wife. And that actually is a marriage relationship is often used in the Scriptures to show the relationship between God and His people. It's a righteous jealousy that seeks to protect this relationship. Which is why Paul says, Since I betrothed you, the church in Corinth, to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. All through the scriptures, uh, this, this metaphor is used portraying God and the church, God and the believer as... Uh, a husband and a wife, a bridegroom and a bride. In Hosea, we see it negatively. Hosea is called to pursue an unfaithful Israel, an Israel that has been unfaithful, and he's, he's supposed to go and marry, and he does marry a prostitute to show, showcase God's pursuing and jealous love for his people, even though they remain unfaithful to him. But in this particular instance, we see that Paul is talking about presenting a pure virgin to Christ, the bridegroom. Paul uses this throughout his letters in Ephesians 5, of course. He's talking about husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water of the word. Why? So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In Revelation 19, the end of all things, this is the ultimate purpose. We read, let us rejoice and exult and give God glory, for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come, and the bride, the church, the bride has made herself ready. And it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen and bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. 
If you remember the covenant made with Abraham, we've discussed it a, a little bit already. You'll see it in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17 and 21. Um, but God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. This is actually referring to a marriage oath. God refers in his covenant, the covenant formula, if you will, to marriage. He uses marriage language, such as the intimacy of relationship between God and his people. So Paul says he's jealous because they haven't become more pure for the bridegroom. They seem to have become less pure. They've been deceived. And how have they been deceived? He explains in verse 3, as the serpent, the serpent is who? Who's the serpent? Satan, yes. As the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, so your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. This is how they've been been deceived, from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Eve was enticed by Satan. In the same manner as the Corinthian church was enticed by Satan, in the same manner that we are all tempted to be enticed away from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And it's an appeal to pride. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh. This, this food, this, this fruit looks good for food. There's a lust of the flesh that drew Eve. And the lust of the eyes, it's, it's pleasing to the eyes. And the pride of life. This is going to make you really wise. All of this had the effect to doubt God's good work and doubt God himself. And this is what had happened in the Corinthian church. They were doubting the work of God in their lives, in the life of their church. The work of God being the sending of Paul as an apostle to teach them. And rather than using the teaching of Paul to bring greater purity to the church, they seem to be going far astray. So Paul's correcting these false teachers directly. And here are the specifics in verse 4. If someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, or if you receive a different spirit, or if you accept a different gospel, you put up with it readily enough, Paul's he's rebuking them. He's saying, you've received a false gospel, a false Jesus, a false spirit, And you seem to be okay with this. So let's look at these one by one. Who is another Jesus? What does that mean to to receive another Jesus? Well, what Jesus did Paul preach? He preached the Christ Jesus prophesied in the scriptures. as part of our confession of faith this morning. According to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. Christ, who is the very God of very God, who is begotten of the Father, who was born of the Virgin Mary, who lived perfectly on this earth and suffered and was crucified and rose on the third day for our justification. This is the Christ Jesus that Paul preached. This Christ is now seated at the right hand of the Father and is coming again in glory. So how do you receive a false Jesus? What exactly does that mean? Jude talks about it right before the book of Revelation is the book of Jude. It's a really wonderful part of Scripture. Jude chapter 1 verse 4. Jude is dealing with the same exact things. He says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, 
crept into the church unnoticed, who long ago were destined for this. Condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. There are people who come into the church preaching a different Jesus and a different gospel and a different spirit than the one Paul preached. Indeed, than the true Jesus and gospel and spirit. Believing in Jesus is not the same thing as being saved. Hmm. I know some of you are thinking, what do you mean? Mormons say they believe in Jesus. Is that the same Jesus? No. That's a false Jesus. It's not belief in the real Jesus. It's a different Jesus. You'll see apostate churches today where the pastor stands up and proclaims a queer Jesus. Can you imagine from a pulpit proclaiming a queer Jesus? What irreverence. What apostasy. That Jesus, that this queer Jesus accepts and loves all manner of gross perversion and sensuality. And he reflects it in himself and in his own being. Is that the same Jesus? No, that's a different Jesus. Let's bring it a little closer to home though. Those who would say that really my faith in Jesus is kind of like fire insurance. I believe in Jesus because I don't want to go to hell. There's no relationship involved. It's just, I better get this ticket while I can. Is that the real Jesus? No, that's not the real Jesus. That's the wrong Jesus. A Jesus who requires no obedience and has no relationship and makes no claims on the lives of those whom he saves. This isn't the Jesus of the Bible. And indeed, when you look at cults, the first thing you want to ask of any cult is what they think of Jesus. Because this is where every cult goes off the rail. It's where every false church leaves the reservation. Christianity, faith in Christ is always linked to truth. And to have faith in Jesus isn't an idea or a feeling. It's I really like being the thought of being a Christian. That's not faith. Faith is anchored in the truth. It's anchored in the truth of God's Word. It's a substance. It's an evidence of truth. Hebrews 11 would teach us. So when we say we believe in Jesus, we believe in the Jesus of the Bible. And belief implies trust. It's a wholehearted trust in the God who saves our Redeemer. They believed a different Jesus in Corinth. But they'd also received a different spirit. The church in Corinth had struggled with the idea of the Holy Spirit. We see this in 1 Corinthians, the first letter that we have in the Scriptures to the church in Corinth. And Paul is trying to correct their, their faulty view of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Now this was a, a community that desired power and influence. They were a very rich and showy community. And this was probably being reflected in the church and their own desire to, to stand up and see all the wonderful spiritual gifts God had given them. When I was thinking of what the church in Corinth or what Corinth was like at that time, uh, unfortunately I had to live um, and spend some time, very short time, in Washington, D.C. Uh, not my favorite place. It's just so big. It's a big, giant city. Um, 
But one thing about Washington, D.C., because it is the capital of the superpower of the world, all the world send their very best people to Washington. And indeed, every state sends their very best people to Washington. I know some of you might think, I don't think all the representatives there are the best people in Washington. And this is true. But the people that serve them generally are the best and the brightest that the nation has to offer. So there's a whole lot of talent in Washington, D.C. There really is. You, you feel it when you talk to people. Um, you feel outclassed in many ways. At least I did. And you see such opulence and wealth. There's a, a, a ton of wealth. And that combination of talent and wealth produces a pride that is just overpowering. If you ever become friends with someone who's uh, living in Washington, D.C., and they haven't been there very long, they'll tell you the same. There's a pressure always to look good, to put on your best face, to look great before the world. And, of course, we all feel that to some degree, but it's magnified there in D.C. This was kind of what it was like to live in Corinth. So Paul addressed this different spirit that they had received, and it was basically using the Holy Spirit like a tool to magnify your own self and your own ministry. And Paul said, no, that's not it. He corrected a false understanding of the Holy Spirit in the first letter to Corinth. What was the role of the Holy Spirit? Well, Jesus basically tells us in the book of John, number one, uh, we see that the Holy Spirit regenerates our hearts. This is uh, in John chapter 3, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And he says, you must be born again. And this is a work of the Holy Spirit. You can't even see the kingdom of God until you're born again. You can't see it. You must be born again. You must be born from above. And he shows Nicodemus that this can only happen by a work of the Holy Spirit. So that's the first and glorious thing that the Holy Spirit does. But after he regenerates you, he, he invades you, if you will. He dwells within you. Why? John 14 tells us to teach you the word of God, to remind you of everything that Christ said, to bear witness to the truth inside you, to guide you in all truth. All that the Holy Spirit does is to the glory of God the Father and to magnify the work of the Son. The Holy Spirit never glorifies himself. We don't see that anywhere in Scripture. There's a different spirit. I think many today would see the Holy Spirit more like a tool or like in Star Wars, a force, and you have to master the force and then you get certain power and you can do things. And That's not the Holy Spirit. That's a different spirit. It's a spirit that seeks something other than to magnify Jesus and glorify the Father. So when you're looking at a televangelist or you're in another church and you see the Holy Spirit being magnified, it should cause you to pause. Yeah, we, we love the Holy Spirit. He's the third person of the Trinity. He is God. But He's not to be used like a tool or manipulated in some way to, to work something up in your own church or in a church or in someone's ministry. That's, that's a different spirit. But finally, a different gospel. He says, you put up with a different gospel. Not just a different Jesus and a different spirit, but a different gospel. Well, what's the gospel? Well, it was our, most succinctly, kind of written in our confession of faith, 1 Corinthians 15. 
Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried and He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. The Scriptures, by the way, are the Old Testament when Paul was writing this. And then He appeared to Cephas and the twelve and then to five hundred brothers at once. In other words, these people are still alive. Go find these 513 people who saw Jesus rise from the dead. Go talk to them if you don't believe me. In other words, not only is it attested to in the Scriptures, but you can actually verify it. That's his gospel. It's a gospel established by the Scriptures in facts that Jesus died and rose again for our sins. So churches that teach a different Jesus certainly are teaching a different gospel. Those whose focus is on something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ are teaching a different gospel. I'm going to give you a few examples. Well, first of all, kind of a general uh, metric to look at the teachings of, that you hear in your life. If the good news or the gospel isn't directly related to the person and the work of Jesus Christ, it's a false gospel. If the focus of that church is on something other than the gospel, you should be wary. They're teaching a different gospel. If it's a gospel that needs a qualifier, like social gospel, liberation gospel, it's a false gospel. The gospel of Jesus needs no qualification. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about Jesus. The social gospel is certainly, it's a reiteration of the liberation gospel of the 70s and early 80s, but a focus of the church on oppressed or marginalized communities. We, we need to focus on, on meeting their needs and giving them freedom and kind of warming the waters so that they might come to Christ at some other time. So it's like a one degree off. Yes, we care for marginalized people. Yes, we want to help people in need. But that's not the focus of the gospel. What they really need is Christ. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that one degree off ends up being miles from the truth years down the road. The bringing of wokeness into the church, not appropriate for the gospel. Or how about a permissive or lordless gospel, a fruitless gospel? We've discussed already, you believe in Jesus, but it really doesn't mean anything. It's just a ticket to heaven. It's just living my own life, but I've got this little card that says, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus. That's not the gospel. There's no fruit. Or a pragmatic gospel, same as the permissive gospel almost. You're doing something to get something. And that's really the only thing you're doing. I got my ticket. I'm out of hell. Chink. It's not the gospel. What we're seeing too is a more of a, a syncretism. Like uh, trying to blend with other religions. Bringing Muslims into churches and other religions into churches. And showing that we really all serve the same God. It's not the gospel. That's not it. It's a false gospel. And of course, the, the sensual gospel, the sexual gospel that seems to be just devouring whole denominations right now. The perversion that's glorified and exalted has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
But more subtly, probably what was happening in Corinth was a gospel that was focused on things that could be generally seen as good. But the focus wasn't Christ. This happens today as well. If a church focuses primarily on charismatic gifts, hmm, should cause you to pause. Our church is focused primarily on the end times and figuring out all the, the details of Revelation and the major prophets. Eating certain foods, worshiping or not worshiping on certain days. These should not be the focus of church. Even service to the community should not be focus of the church. It's the gospel, and everything flows out of the gospel. Even good works or pure doctrine. These things in themselves can, be, can become idols for a church. The human heart is capable of creating all kinds of substitutes for the truth. We need to beware. So how do you know when you see so many um, angels of light, so many false apostles or false teachers, how can you know where to hang your hat? You hang it on the gospel of Jesus Christ. I remember when I went through, I've discussed this before, but it's just so uh, applicable. When I was in POW resistance training, they're training you to be a prisoner of war and how to resist the torture and the beatings and not give out any information. Because that's what the enemy wants is all your information. They want to know what service are you with? Where's your unit? What's the strength? What airplanes do you fly? What kind of weapons do they have? Where are you going? What's the mission? And you can't tell them those things. So the way they train you to keep yourself from spilling information is to always go to the center. And they taught you to remember just three things. I'm really hurt. I'm really hungry. And I'm really tired. Every question you get, I would be able to answer you, but my arm's broken. I don't have any medical care. I'm really hurt. I can't answer questions because I'm so hurt. Or I'm really hungry. I can't, I can't think straight when I'm so hungry or I'm so tired. I can't sleep well and the floors are so hard. And you always go back to hurt, hungry, tired, hurt, hungry, tired. And if you remember that, you won't spill any information. Well, it's helpful for us because we need to go back to the center as well. Is this a church that glorifies Jesus Christ and the gospel? If it's not, bring it back to that. Paul says these guys have taught a different gospel, they have a different spirit, and they have a different Jesus. They're false apostles. He says that in verse 5. These are false apostles. He says, I'm not inferior to these super apostles at all. He's, he's, he's straining to say this because he's a humble man. And he knows that all of the the work of his ministry is due to Christ. And he's not going to glorify himself, but he's straining to do this anyway for the sake of the church. He says, these are super apostles only in name. I'm not inferior to them in any way. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I'm not inferior to these super apostles. It's the dripping irony is almost hard not to see. Why? Because Paul actually is the super apostle, isn't he? He's the apostle of apostles. He's the one who went out all over the world. He is the super apostle. He's 
a super apostle who puts all the glory to Christ and pushes all the glory to the church, not to himself. Paul's humility makes it hard for him, but he's finally talking to them. He knows who he is because of Christ. You remember he said in Philippians, whatever was to my profit, I count as a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. I consider it rubbish, he says, dung, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. He says these false apostles aren't even really apostles. They look good on the outside, but they're not real. Again, I'm going to pull back from my childhood. Wendy's had a commercial that I really loved when I was a kid. It was a guy who opens a hamburger, and he's got this gigantic bun, but in the middle was a burger about the size of a silver dollar. Does anyone remember this commercial? And he says, where's the beef? It's almost like Paul saying this to the false apostles. He's like, you've got a lot of show. You've got a lot on the outside that looks good. But there's no substance to you. There's no beef. And the false teachers are here in contrast. Verses 7 through 11, you may wonder what Paul's talking about. He talks about, I've worked and I've, I haven't charged you anything. It appears that Paul came when he started the church and he didn't charge any. It was a mission effort. It was an evangelistic missionary effort. He wasn't going to take money from this new church that he had just started, so he provided for himself. And other churches that were already in existence provided for Paul's needs. And the church in Corinth was led to believe that this was offensive, that they weren't allowed to provide for Paul while he was there, and they were supposedly offended by that. And, of course, this is the work of the false teachers, that Paul didn't really love them because if he loved them, he would have accepted their kindness and their, their generosity. And Paul's saying, no way, that's, that's backwards. The fact that I worked for free and the gospel is for free Anyone who wants money for preaching or pumps the offering for money is is betraying the gospel. Paul says it's free. I did it all for free. And this is just a reflection of the fruit of these false apostles. So let's talk quickly about the false apostles and we'll close. Paul says, verse 12, I'm going to continue doing what I do because I know whom I am, whose I am. These people have boasted in their mission. They think they're the same as me, and they're not. They're false apostles, deceitful workmen, he says in verse 13, decide, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Just like Satan, they're his servants. So they use the trick Satan does. And every false teacher since then, and even before then, has looked like an angel of light. They look good. Well, how do you tell who the angels are of light? The true angels of light, the workers of Christ, and the servants of Satan. How do you know? Well, Jesus told us how to know. He said, you will recognize them by their fruit, right? You look at their fruit. What's the fruit of the false teachers in Corinth? Strife and division. Pride and prickliness and hardness of heart, arguments, harsh words, divisions. The fruit was the fruit of Satan. That's what Satan desires. We read that they 
in the first letter to the Corinthians that there were so many people who were blaspheming the Lord's Supper that some of them even died. This is the fruit of false teachers. The fruit of Paul's ministry was the meekness and gentleness of Christ. It was persecution and danger and sword. It was the knowledge and the preaching of the word of God and the true gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's close with this. You may have believed a false gospel your whole life. I think we all need to sit back and acknowledge. In every church there are people who think they're Christians and who aren't. Why is that? Well, you've believed the false gospel, the wrong Jesus. Maybe you've been taught that because you believe the right things about Jesus that you actually trust in Jesus. It's not the same. Right knowledge does not equal a trust and a faith in Christ. Just because you know your doctrine or you walked the aisle one day and prayed the the sinner's prayer or because you attend church regularly, that doesn't mean you're a Christian. Christ tells us that you need to believe and trust in Him and in Him alone. And what does that look like? It's like a treasure hidden in a field and you sell everything you have. Imagine selling everything you possess so that you can have this treasure in a field. That's what faith in Christ is like. It's like a pearl that is is of such great value that you sell everything you own so that you can own this one little pearl. Jesus says this is what faith in Christ is like. Famously, he says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Forever, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, will save it. This is an all-in kind of thing. You either love Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and this is the work of the Holy Spirit, of, of course, or you don't. But if you realize that you may have believed a false gospel this morning, if, if it's sinking in that this is not the service you have for Christ and never has been, then you should consider and turn yourself to the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the gospel. He is the good news. He lived and died to save sinners like you and me. And you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ today. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus Christ the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. We thank you that the work of Jesus will never fail. We thank you that the work of Jesus and the kingdom of God is expanding over all the earth. That despite the deception of false teachers and false prophets and false apostles, that your church will move on and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We can have confidence in the person and the work of Jesus, despised by the world, but we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Lord, please give us a wonder and an amazement as we contemplate the gospel of Jesus Christ for the rest of this day. In Jesus' name, amen.